Tonight's reading uh, comes from Genesis chapter 1. That's Genesis chapter 1, and we'll be reading from verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Hear the word of the Lord. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to every, everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he, has, he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Sean. It is a great privilege to be here with you this evening. Let me just try and remove this safely. Well, we're glad that you could join us this evening. And welcome to WPC Bull Creek. And tonight we're starting a new sermon series. You might have seen the slides. Uh, it's about learn the gospel. And so I want you to imagine, if you would, two scenarios. Firstly, imagine you're chatting on a bus. You're getting to know someone. Conversation somehow lands that you're talking about your weekend. You share, you go to church. And they, they look over to you and they say, I didn't know you were a Christian. Uh, what is it all about anyway? You look up at him and you realize that this guy stops uh, in three stops time. So he's about to jump off in just a few minutes. So what do you say? Scenario two. You sit down and you're on a plane to Japan because apparently that's where everyone's going. And as you're getting ch- chatting with the person sitting next to you, you end up sharing a bit about your life. They learn you go to a Bible growth group. And, and so they ask, what, what's, what's a Bible growth group? What do you do there? And so now you have either six hours to properly explain everything about Christianity and Bible growth groups or a very awkward six hours to sit together. Where do you even begin within these two scenarios? How can you appropriately share all of Christianity in either three bus stops time or in six hours? Well, it's times like this where it's quite handy to have a gospel outline or a framework to help guide your response. A response that you have remembered, you've practiced in these situations. And that's exactly why we've been encouraging all our Bible growth groups to do a, this course called Learn the Gospel. It's an eight-week course that slowly helps us to chew on, to help learn and memorize a gospel framework. 
that you can either expand or you can condense. And that's exactly why we want to preach through it as well. But before I talk a bit more, if you haven't joined a Bible growth group here, well, can I encourage you to head onto our website, click on Welcome tab, and you'll find a whole list of Bible growth groups that's available spread throughout the week. Get connected so you can come and do this course, but also so that you can get connected with the body here in smaller groups. So let me go back to those two scenarios. You might think, well, those are a bit extreme. That's too far-reaching. I don't think I could ever do that. And yet when we look at what Scripture says about how we are to live as Christians, the imperative, the command seems to be to do that very thing. Let me read to you a few examples. In Matthew 28, quite famously, it says, It calls us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. How are we to do that? Verse 20, by teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Or, you see consistently throughout the Bible, there are a a lot of commands to do this. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Therefore, verse 11, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. In verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So as followers of the risen Lord Jesus, we're called to go and make disciples, to proclaim and defend the hope that we have, to persuade others and to be an ambassador for Christ. That's what we mean when we talk about sharing the gospel. It's all of that. And I want to make that distinction kind of early on because if you're anything like me, Too often, sharing kind of means I kind of sit back, I wait for them to kind of ask about the gospel. It's kind of like when a school friend asks uh, my daughter, she's in uh, pre-primary, if if a friend comes up and says, can I share her her toys? Of course, they're eager to take that toy from her and, and play with it. But often I feel the same way with my evangelism. That That is, you know, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to show the gospel. I'm going to show my toy as much as I can. And possibly they'll come and ask me, hey, I want to play with that. I want to learn more about your faith. As I talk about it, you probably realize that they're probably not the same things. And yet that's often how we treat, at least that's how I've treated evangelism in the past. How often have I found myself curbing any God talk and kind of waiting for them to ask. But as we saw in, as we looked at a few passages earlier, if we're ambassadors for Christ, if we're persuading people to come to Christ, then we ought to be on the initiative, taking these conversations, bringing them into the conversations of faith, hope, and life. And that's exactly why over these next six sermons, In PM, AM, and PM, we're going to be covering the six points of uh, two ways to live, if you're familiar with that outline. Uh, To learn the gospel is kind of an updated version, adapted version of the two ways to live framework. And so we're going to preach through those six points to help us be more familiar with the gospel framework. Because I think if we're more confident in what the gospel is, if we can be more clearer, more concise with the gospel message, 
then I think we'll be better able to notice and to take opportunities to proclaim Christ. And we'll have more confidence in what we're saying. And perhaps you're coming along and you're not even a Christian. Well, these will be helpful steps for you to understand the home gospel framework as well. You'll be able to hear what the good news of Jesus really is. Uh, That's what we're hoping to do. Uh, But to do that, we do need to make sure that we're talking about the same thing. To make sure that the gospel message we're preaching is the same, we'll start right from the very beginning. So the first and foundational point of the two ways to live model is that God is a good ruler and creator. And so you'll notice behind me, over the course of this series, they have these little pictures that help us to remember each of the steps. So what you'll see here is you see a crown at the top. That's God. God's ruling over humanity, who is ruling over creation by God's authority. So that's the picture there to help you uh, remember. God is the ruler over humanity who rules over creation by God's authority. And so here are the two lines that we're going to be working on. I realize now that the text is too small. Um, But yeah, two lines. God is the ruler and the creator of the world. And God made us to rule his good world, giving thanks and honor to him. We'll work through each of these two. They'll be bigger in the next slide, I hope. No. Anyway, God is the ruler and creator of the world. Uh, you'll get that. So let me start by reading from a bit further up in Genesis, in Genesis 1, verse 1. Let me read for you. If you have your Bibles there, it'd be good to follow along. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So the question we're wrestling with in this first question is, why is God the ruler of the world? Well, simply because the world was made by him. It is his creation. Mark also read for us in John chapter 1 that all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. That is, before God created the world, there was nothing but darkness. But from God's word, let there be light... Light was created. You see, he is a God who can create from nothing. He spoke creation into being. And it's easy to glance over this. But as you think about it a bit more, you realize how impossible that is. You see, we can make things from things that already exist. You know, we can take sand, we can take rock, we can build houses from that. We can make medicines from uh, the herbs and things around us in the world. But to make something from nothing, that's impossible. Have you ever tried to speak things into existence? Oftentimes we might try using uh, uh, thinking that we could do things. Uh, For example, I've 
in multiple occasions, tried to speak my assignments to completion on the due date. That often doesn't work. Uh, but unlike me and my weakness, we have a God who is almighty. We have a God who is perfectly wise. We have a sovereign God with infinite wisdom who creates this world intentionally and meaningfully in all its parts. And you might hear the arguments that science has debunked Christianity. Uh, But as it were, science simply reveals more to us about how great our God is. And you might think, "How how does that work? Well, it's because science helps us to see the intimate, the minute details that actually hold our world together. I wonder if you've ever thought about how intricately the world and how we are all made. In 2014, there's a Time magazine article uh, that is impossibly small to see. Again, it says, why science does not uh, disprove God. In this article, the author Amir Axel says this quote, Science is an amazing, wonderful undertaking. It teaches us about life, the world, and the universe, but it has not revealed to us why the universe came into existence, nor what preceded its birth in the Big Bang. Biological evolution has not brought us the slightest understanding of how the first living organisms emerged from inanimate matter on this planet. Why did everything we need, this is later on in the article, why did everything we need in order to exist come into being? How was all of this possible without some latent outside power to orchestrate the precise dance of elementary particles required for the creation of all the essentials of life? I think it's quite an astounding quote because when you look at the intimate details of creation, you look up at the skies, you consider all the precise ways in which they work together. And even as you consider our own lives, our own bodies, each cell carefully designed to live in this world, so perfectly balanced that if any one cell was out of place, we would fail to exist. And it's just simply unfathomable to think how chance could have created it. And perhaps after the service, you can chat and share with one another times where you've just been left gobsmacked by God's amazing creation. And here, I wonder what your non-Christian friends would say or think about this. Or perhaps they have never actually considered the creation of the world. Maybe they have. Or perhaps you're still wrestling with it yourself. But this gives us a really helpful opportunity to raise simply a question. That, That is, whenever you look upon God's beauty in creation, a simple question to ask could be acknowledging this beauty and asking if they've ever considered where it all came from and just simply letting that conversation flow. But not only did God create the world, he also made us to rule under him, giving thanks and honor to him. That's our second point that we'll be looking at this evening. Because everything in God's created order is good, 
And what we see in Genesis is the next thing God does is create humanity. So look back with me in verse 26 of Genesis. Verse 26, I pick up. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all the, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You see, just like all the other created things, it's important to be reminded that we are also created from God. And of course, that means we are under his authority. We are under his rule as his creatures. But not, it's not just that. There's something quite unique about the way that we have been created. And that is we're made in God's image. And we're given a particular role. We have been given a, a particular authority to rule or have dominion over the world under God. We've been given authority from God to rule over creation. And that's a responsibility that we will be held accountable for because it's God's authority that we're ultimately exercising. Take, for example, if I'm given the responsibility of a teacher of kids in a classroom, does that mean suddenly I become all the kids' parents? No, of course not. Actually, I'm there taking responsibility of the teacher. That's what I'm going to be held accountable for. But it also doesn't mean I can just have them there and do nothing. Why? Well, for the same reason. I've been given this authority to teach these kids. And what, I think it works in the same way, where God gives us this secondary office or authority under his creation, and we're exercising that authority to rule over creation. So we've been set apart to rule over God's world as God's subordinates, under the king's orders. So we proclaim Christ under God's authority and not our own. And so then what we see is that God's not only the maker of and ruler of the world, but more specifically, he's the maker and ruler of us. God is the ruler over all of humanity and all of creation. I want to stop there to think about the implications of this. What does that mean? Well, if God is our maker and our ruler, well, we have to be submitting to him as the king. We must be obeying our God because he's the sovereign ruler. Like a king who rules over his subordinates, we are to listen to the king. Because all of that is true, it means that we actually are living for a purpose. We've been created intentionally, purposefully. We are not, we're not kind of randomly waiting for our next quest to come in, but we're actively pursuing the kingdom, the glory of our God and our king. You see, the world's created good and for good purposes. And God made humanity to rule over his good creation under him. I'll stop there again, and I want you to think about your non-Christian friends. How would they think about that? How would they think about the purposes 
of humanity. What are we made for? How do you think they would respond to that question? Do they think that we have any innate purposes within us? But you might also be asking, how are we possibly going to segue to such a heavy question like that? Well, you could perhaps latch on to that first question about thinking about creation, thinking about purposefully created, thinking about who they are, what they think they've been made for, and leading to these questions of why we've been made. You can explore of the beauty and the details of the world, linking it to a creator and linking it to our, uh, our ruler. Because if it is simply that there is no creator, then that leaves us in a bit of a pickle because if there's no creator, there's no purpose. It's kind of just enjoy everything while you can, make the most of every moment. Because in the ultimate scheme of things, well, that means humanity is kind of unimportant, kind of irrelevant, because you're going to die. You're going to move on, and there'll be nothing left of you. But you see, that's not how Jesus views us. Because if that was the case, well, there'd be no need for Jesus to die. Because in another famous verse in John 3.16, we see that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So we see from Jesus' words that we are precious in God's eyes. We are so loved by God that he would send his only son. So how do we think about who we are Well, I'm sure as you talk to your friends, as you think about it yourself, there are plenty of other segues that reveal more about your non-Christian friends. And these things come up as you spend time, as you talk to them, as you get to know them better. So what we have to be doing is carefully listening, intentionally engaging with them to pick up on any of these cues to dig deeper. And the trouble is, it's really hard to know where these conversations could land, isn't it? It's terrifying. Like, they could ask anything. I agree. That fear is terrifying. And often that has led me to ultimately say nothing. Countless times I've found myself struggling for the right words, not saying anything, where I should have talked more. And I think back, I should have said X, Y, Z. But let me encourage you, because in this series, it's not a time for us to feel guilt-tripped or riddled down with guilt that we've failed. No, I want to encourage you. I want this to be a time of building up, a time of being supported by one another, a time of being renewed in God's grace and God's word as we follow our Lord Jesus And this is the start of this uh, outline. This is the point where we think and consider how God is the creator, and that is fundamental to the Christian faith. God rules the world as its maker 
and humanity is made to rule under him. This is the first crucial step in proclaiming Christ in this outline because as you chat to people, I think it becomes very obvious that that's not the case in the world today. No one wants to submit to God. What we see very quickly in the world is that everyone has pushed God to the side. A bit like how my one-year-old son, Stefan, he pushes his big sister off uh, the bike because, well, he wants it. Or simply he grabs the toothbrush out of her mouth. And that's what we do when we're trying to grain in control over our own lives. Because instead of wanting to be ruled under God, very quickly we want to rule over him. And this, of course, leads to the second point of sin, which I'm going to leave for Mark to preach next week in the morning service, which I'd encourage you to come if you're able to. But at the core of this first point, there is a creator and ruler who has made us for a good purpose. There is meaning. There is purpose to our lives. We are made in God's image. And so there is meaning and value in each one of our lives because there is a God who is good and loving. And that's the God that we want to share. We want to proclaim to the world. The God who perfectly creates, perfectly loves, perfectly rules. And because that's all true, well, it is a God who deserves all the glory and all the honor. If we lose this foundational point of creation, then we lose who God is. We lose sight of who we ought to give honor to, give thanks to. We lose why there's no brokenness in the world. And we simply lose all meaning and purpose. Because as we've seen so far in creation, as we see in Lord Jesus Christ, it's all about our amazing God who loves. So let me return for a moment to the two scenarios we had of the bus and of the plane. How could you segue a one-minute conversation on the bus or a six-hour flight about God being the ruler and maker of the world with humanity ruling underneath him? with giving thanks to God and honor. How could you do that? Well, I'm going to close in prayer in a moment. And as I'm praying, I'm going to give you one or two minutes in the middle of that prayer to prayerfully consider how you would do this. I want to do this because after the service, I'd like you to chat to another and share how you might do that. So I'm going to pray in the middle of the prayer. I'll give you time to think and pray. How would you Go about, in those two scenarios, the bus and on the plane, how would you talk about this first step? Would you join me as we pray? Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for who you are. Lord, you are the glorious creator of the world. You are the maker of everything in it, and indeed you are our maker. Lord, we give you thanks that you would grant us rule over the world and yet we have rejected you. We have rejected your rule over us. And so we thank you that by your grace 
you have saved us. Thank you that you have loved us so much, even though we had rejected you. And so, Lord, we pray that as we think about this foundational step of you as the creator and the maker of the world, we do pray that you would give us great courage and boldness as we proclaim your gospel. Give us wisdom on how we can share and proclaim your name to a a lost world who desperately needs hope. Give us boldness to speak, even when we know it's difficult, even when we know it will lead to persecution. And yet we know, Lord, it is ultimately for your glory. And so, Lord, give us courage to take the segues we can so that you would receive the glory. And now, Lord, we just pray that you would give us wisdom as we quietly consider how we might share this part of the gospel story to our non-Christian friends and family. Well, Lord, we can plan and plan and plan thousands of ways to talk and to think about sharing the gospel. And yet without your spirit working in the hearts of theirs and ours, it will be ineffective. And so we ask, Lord, that you would be bringing life from hearts of stone. Lord, would you spring forth life from your words that we proclaim and share and pass to others? Would you help us to bring these words of life to a needy and thirsty world? Help us to persevere in your word, persevere in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that even though we've fallen short, even though we've rejected you, we thank you that you have saved us and that we can go out and make disciples of the world because we know that you are there by your spirit with us. And so, Lord, would you send us all out as laborers for this plentiful harvest? We ask all of this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.